Welcome back to the Don't Split Up Horror Podcast. This is episode number 60. We're talking about Black Phone. I'm J.R. Foresteros. I'm Amanda Foresteros. I'm Moza Haiti. And I'm Adriana Miskiti. Adriana, welcome to the podcast. The listeners may be a little confused because last episode, well, actually, actually last episode was just me and Mo holding down on a very terrible movie together. Um, <laughs> I feel like the ladies owe us one, Mo. I'd say definitely. <laughs> I feel like that was on purpose. We can we can hold it down. We got this. We we will choose mm-hmm. a particularly big stinker for y'all to endure without us. So great. Uh, <laughs> but yes, our co-host Mackenzie had to step away from the show uh, indefinitely, and so while we are very sad about that, we are excited to have our friend Adriana on with us. Adriana, longtime horror fan, is that right? Yes. Yes. Uh, Maybe not so much as a kid, but something clicked when I saw um, Dawn of the Dead and the obsession became... The remake? The Zack Snyder remake that came out a few years ago? Yeah. 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 The terrifying one with the really fast zombies at the mall. That that one hooked you, huh? That one hooked me. Um, I, I mean, I watched, I always watched uh, the horror movies, but this one really, it just like kicked in this like, okay, we are diving in. We're going to watch everything and anything that comes out. We're also going to obsess and have nightmares. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. That's me too. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that was, that was, uh, by the way, 2004, Zack Snyder's remake it came out. So, uh, so you've been in love for a while, almost, yeah. almost 20 years. What, is is that Dawn of the Dead remake still your favorite horror film? Uh, I'm going to say that since that movie, The Conjuring really brought out this new fear. <laughs> Not a new fear, <laughs> but, but definitely scared me just like Dawn of the Dead. But that one's going to be the one that will forever be the scariest movie for me. I also have an irrational fear but also a deep love for zombies um it's a big zombie nerd that one that one just did it for me that one it created like weird uh, fears and and scenarios where i'd walk into a place and be like okay where's my exit where would i hide is there food here so um definitely that's that's the one that's the one for me so is it zombies specifically that scare you the most or like with a horror film, what genre really gets you like JR hates possession. Uh, I feel like Amanda's more of a monster film. Jaws gets her for me. It's anything that makes me not sleep at night. So or <laughs> most, most so, horror movies. <laughs> yeah. So all, yeah, all horror movies. Um, JR and I have had this conversation. Uh, huge, huge fear of mine is anything possession and spirits that could be some deep old catholic fear of mine um or trauma probably (laughs) a trauma it's a trauma definitely um and also culturally right like i grew up in a very very deep mexican um 
family that believed in kind of everything. So, so possession, possession's like a big one for me. Um, zombies. I I don't think zombies were uh, were that scary to me until Dawn of the Dead, and then it just it, it also it was very involved, right? It was um I had a kid. What would I do? He would be crying. We would all die. You know, like it it that it just created like a whole bunch of new things for me. Um, but I think ultimately possession is is my big big spirits possessions ghosts demons that's 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 the scary that's the nightmares that's the wake up at 3 a.m and uh 333 right yeah i was gonna say (laughs) right like like why 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 am i why did i do this what's gonna take over when i walk over to the restroom what's like stop drinking fluids at 6 p.m so i don't wake up at that time and then i still do something's obviously wrong bring out the sage right so um Yeah, I, I gotta say, Adriana, I'm excited to have you on because our original co-host Stacy was a twin, and obviously many horror films feature creepy twins, right? So we were able many times to get Stacy's input as a twin. Um, also, a lot of films feature creepy children, and you're the first parent that we've had as a co-host. So I'm very excited for you to give us the the parent insights into exactly what you do with a creepy kid, uh, which will come up here in a, a few weeks when we do our Insidious episodes. So very looking forward to your contributions to the podcast. Welcome aboard. <laughs> creepy Welcome. kids are definitely the worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of They're creepy kids, worst. let's talk about Black Phone. Oh, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, uh, so this film came out last year in 2022. It was directed by Scott Derrickson, who uh, famously directed the first Doctor Strange movie, Sinister, Exorcism of Emily Rose, a number of others. He's a he's a great horror director. It's based on a Joe Hill short story. Joe Hill is the son of Stephen King. I had about an $18 million budget and globally made $160 million. So uh, also very well-reviewed film, very well-received. Uh, and uh, probably most famously featured Ethan Hawke as the uh, the monster in this movie. He is a man who abducted children uh, in the 1970s. Uh, and they simply called him in this film the Grabber. So uh, I'm curious before we dive into spoilers. Now, Mo, you you said you did not get a chance to rewatch this. So let's start with you. Like, you saw this last year when it came out. Like, what stuck with you? Did you like it? Um, how, how do you feel about it being a little removed from it? I remember loving the film. Uh, I thought it was kind of refreshing, something new, uh, pleasantly scary, but not too over the top for someone like me. <laughs> um, but no, for me, I thought it was original. I liked it. I thought Ethan Hawke did a great job. He was pretty creepy throughout the entire film. Um, I don't want to get into spoilers as far as some of like kind of what's going on later. But um, no, I thought it was new and fun. Uh, Adriana, you and I both watched it, uh, I think, when it originally came out, but then also have revisited it for this episode. So how was it? For you, you know, did it did the rewatch line up for you uh, with what you remembered or, or what did you think about this movie? I did pay more attention to little details this time around just because I knew we would be talking about it. Um, but here is where the parent comes in, right? Um, biggest fear as a parent. Um, I remember telling my kid forever, probably a trauma that he's going to have to go to therapy for. Uh, <laughs> if you see a van, 
you run the opposite way. If you see this, you run the opposite way. Uh, balloons, puppies, kittens, no kid. That's how, that's how you die. Um, so yeah, this is, this was like every parent's worst fear and then some, and then it was the, our like irrational fears, right? Like the, without spoilers, like all of the supernatural or all of the, anything else that, that was involved in this film. So, um, I was pleasantly surprised by this one. Um, sometimes I go into these movies afraid of like, oh, that's the ending. Uh, but I, I really, um, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I think so. I was not a big fan of it when I first watched it. And I'll talk about a little bit more when we get into spoilers, uh, parts of the film that still really don't work for me. But it is nice to see a film that is uh, short, that is tightly written, and that is interested not in setting up a sequel but in just doing a really good job of telling the story it's trying to tell i feel like that is getting rarer and rarer in these days and i found the film to be disturbing uh like you said adriana like both at that supernatural level of there is weird ghosty stuff happening in this movie uh but but also like on a much more realistic level of we know things like this happen uh have happened to do happen will continue happening and and yeah that that is a genuinely scary thought so uh, it was an interesting blend of those kinds of things um and i think i i think it did grow on me the more more i uh, again when i rewatched it uh rewatched it with one amanda forresteros because she did not watch it <laughs> last year so i'm curious for you having just seen this film having not seen it before uh what did you think of it yeah, I don't really remember why I didn't see it last year. Uh, you know, sometimes I have like strong opinions about things where I'm like, nope, definitely don't want to subject myself to that because that is straight up nightmare fuel or I guess I'll watch it <laughs> if it has to do with the podcast or whatever. But really, I, I, I truly don't remember uh, other than I remember seeing all of the ads for it being super duper creepy, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was just busy that one night and then because, I think you were out of town because you didn't give it a glowing review. I wasn't in a rush to do it. So I will <laughs> say that I, I actually did as much as one can enjoy a child abduction movie. Right, like I right. did enjoy it. Right. Like I like Joe Hill, uh, as we've discussed previously, all of the King and King's kids adaptations are very hit or miss, very, very hit or miss in Hollywood. Um, but I thought it was pretty solid. I trust Scott Derrickson. Like, I think he does a really great job with most of the films that he's done. Uh, Ethan Hawke. The, the thing that like stood out to me the most is that he was one creepy, creepy dude. Like I got very like split vibes oh, yeah. from him. Um, obviously anyway, we won't get into all of those spoilers, but man masks well and i was just gonna say he was wearing a mask or some pieces of the mask until very very late in the film at least half of his face is obscured yeah which you wouldn't even know that it was ethan hawk until the final reveal and so i I think that is a that is a whole different acting challenge and his voice too his voice kept changing hit and voice was extra creepy boy yeah and so i don't know i mean obviously i didn't grow up in the 60s and 70s but i did grow up in the 80s and 90s as a child and so like that fear of like being 
being abducted, not going into, you know, not stranger danger, all of that kind of stuff. You, you come home when the street lights go on, like there are no cell phones, there are no, there's no way to, you know, keep each other accountable being a girl, like a little girl. I don't know. There was just, right. John Benet Ramsey was like killed when I was a kid. And so all of that stuff was, well, unless she's still alive, big conspiracy theory here. I don't know. Well, maybe. Well, we weren't as but, naive yeah. as people were in the seventies, right? Like in the eighties, we've already experienced like serial killers in the seventies. We've already experienced all of the darkness that the world has to offer. So in the eighties, we were very aware of all the bad things that could happen as a kid. So, you know, this, this really unlocked a lot of that. Absolutely. And brought full terror. I mean, reminded me of my childhood. I mean, my dad was a cop. So like that was very much instilled into me, all Mm -hmm. of the safety stuff, strength in numbers. Anytime they would like walk off by themselves, I'm like, no, don't do it. The crabber's going to get you, you know, But, (laughs) but you're right. It's because of that sort of like ignorance is bliss, not necessarily realizing um, the dangers as much. So yeah, I, right. I dug it. I mean, obviously, there, there are a significant portion of things that are a little strange, or I would have changed. But but overall, I thought it was actually quite solid. And I think that casting Ethan Hawke, um, it doesn't hurt to cast an attractive actor, because regardless of not seeing his face, really, until closer to the end this person is existing in real life right he's going to grocery stores he's going to whatever it is that that he's doing out there in his weirdo normal life he's not what we as a society would see as creepy ugly you know so you here's this attractive white man in, in america you're just not thinking about him i mean like no one would ever suspect and it's you know that's like a that's a big deal i mean we obviously knew the actor like okay he he was super creepy as the grabber but if you think about outside of that person the grabber no one would no one would know and that is terrifying absolutely 100 percent let's get into spoilers because it sounds like there's some more that should be talking about any Spoilers for Black Phone, uh, starting right now. Okay, so I have a question right out of the gate. This is something that actually, as soon as the film was over, um, Amanda and I debated. But I would love to know, uh, Adriana, did you have a sense for what was going on with Gwen, the little sister, and Finn being able to hear the phone ring like i'm going to call it the magic of the movie right like did you have a sense for what the rules of this magic were or how it was happening as a superstitious person growing up in a you know culturally superstitious you know mexican household um there's a gift right there's like that that sixth sense um Gwen has it. She is experiencing a gift that her mother passed on. She is seeing things that obviously her dad has some leftover trauma <laughs> from from mom and he's got some issues um, and he is trying to block that out. However, alcohol, beatings, this, that. Okay, so that... Um, Immediately, I was like, okay, cool. 
we're we're jumping into into this there's you know obviously finn also has a gift or else that wouldn't be happening to him i don't think the other kids experienced what finn was experiencing this is this is a family trait um the second time around watching this i thought okay there has to be a gift with Gwen, but is Finn experiencing some kind of coping mechanism? Is he trying to survive? Is he trying to get out of this alive? Is he, you know, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And his brain is just creating all of these like tips and tricks on how to, how to get out of this. So, I mean, I like the cooler side of this, obviously. I want the powers. I want to. I want the the phone to ring, um, and the creepy, creepy ghost talking to me through it. Um, you know, because when the grabber hears the phone ring, and it's like, "Here you go. This one's for you." It's like, "Oh, yep, yep. That's great. That's great." Yeah, I think for me, I didn't actually even realize that that. Finney would have necessarily had powers or, you know, like had that kind of like instinctual sixth sense, third eye, whatever, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't read it as that. I just thought, oh, this is like the supernatural part of the the um, the film, the book, whatever. And so I just sort of took it for what it was like, yeah, they are. I mean, and again, since we're getting into full spoilers, like it ends up actually helping him to survive ultimately. Like, when they're asking him to do all of these different things. And obviously I put two and two together that these were things that they tried, obviously before they met their demise, I was like, man, he just needs to keep digging or he just needs to keep trying to get up into that freaking window or he just need like, he just needs to try harder, which also, uh, you know, he's a kid, he's scared. So part of the like empathy piece of me was like, yeah, this kid is being traumatized. He's being half starved. Also, I was like, uh, that's a glass Sprite bottle. Bust that sucker in half and like stab that dude. But you know, whatever. <laughs> Again, he's a kid. He, you know, right. me, right, me right. as my like almost 40 something year old woman is like looking at every single thing. What can I use as a weapon? How can I gouge his eyeballs out? That you're you're constantly <laughs> evaluating everything you see is how can I stab someone? With Absolutely. This? Yeah. I'm very stabby. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, um, <laughs> that's a lot cleaner than my initial. I will bite his throat out. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so interesting. You, you know, there's there's been a couple of different theories put out here. One is that they're both gifted, right? One is that I, I, I'm really interested in the the one you suggested, Adriana, which is that this is all going on in uh, Finn's head as a coping mechanism. I think where the film disproves that for me is where the the big bully kid tells him to break through the wall and get into the freezer. I was like, that's that's the only information that his brain could not have like come up with subliminally and right. you know delivered. Right. Because my... how would he know the freezer's there? Right, right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um my my initial question, and I, I wanna I actually kind of want to go back and rewatch it one more time just to see. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that the phone doesn't ring for the first time until after Gwen prays. Mm. And so uh, my my thought is, and I this is still a big question mark, but my thought was wondering whether Gwen's gift is strong enough that she is able to project into like and help Finn, even though he's somewhere she doesn't know where she is, where he is and like connect him to the spirit world. Or if 
they're leaving open the possibility that there is some kind of weird divine intervention happening. Like, you know, again, whether it's actually divine intervention or whether Gwen praying is the mechanism that lets her brain like or her gift, you know, be powerful enough to do that next step. I Um, think this is where you and I varied initially, JR, because if I remember correctly, I was on the same page as Adriana. I thought that the kids were gifted and I thought Ethan Hawke was gifted and he was just trying to push that away because of the abuse or the abuse that he had grown up with. And this was kind of like his sick, you know, vendetta. Um, Now it just so happens that the last kid that he, you know, captures happens to have that same gift and in conjunction with the sisters able to kind of use that to work out. But that's the way I read the whole movie. Um, It always played well for me, but I remember now, after going through all that, your initial reaction was, these rules don't really make sense. I don't think I like this. And that was our standard back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it, it is vague. And I actually don't mind that. Like, I actually don't mind a thing. And and again, in, in the Stephen King universe, this is the shine, right? That Danny has in The Shining. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. Places. <laughs> Um, yeah. and, and it also doesn't have clear rules on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And so, again, I love that Joe Hill is riffing on this. I don't know. Did any of you read uh, NOS4A2, Nosferatu, the Joe Hill Mm-mm. book no. that got turned no. into an AMC book? I just watched the, the show. So, so again, uh, it is it is an energy vampire, uh, hence the, the license plate, Nosferatu, that feeds on people with the gift. And Joe Hill actually, uh-huh. in the book, shouts out... Um, some of Stephen King's characters who have the shine. So it's right. it's pretty clear that Joe is sort of like tag teaming with his dad's. Yeah, some humans have this supernatural gift. And to your point, Mo, it's often a source of trauma, not joy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, either because these people are perceived to be crazy like like it seems like the mom was you know uh, as you mentioned earlier adriana or mm-hmm. with whatever was going on with the grabber in his past that he was suffering some pretty significant abuse because yeah. of it as well and uh, to your point jr i would almost say like in this i mean finney stuck in that situation kind of dramatically being brought to it and maybe experiencing it for the first time was confused. Whereas it seemed like Gwen was purposely seeking it out. Yep. Um, so whether the prayer was indicative of, you know, kind of this divine intervention or whether it was just really kind of tapping into something she already knew was there, maybe um, definitely get the feeling that she's the stronger of the two and uses that to her ability. Whereas he's just kind of like, I'll take what I can get. Help me any way you can. Yeah. Um, That's um, interesting. Cause I never, ever thought uh, at any point watching it twice um, that the grabber had any gifts. I think he. So he just, just mentioned that he used to hear the phone ring. And oh, I felt okay. like he was okay. willfully trying to ignore it. You yes. know what I mean? Like it was almost right, like he okay. was just trying to pretend as if that was never a part of his life. He was trying I, to be the son his father wanted him to be. Um, there you go. Okay. Was- so that, that went right over my head, of course. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, the way that I saw the shine or the gift in the kids is that, you know, Gwen was very, very open to it. Just, I, I, I think just as, cause she's a girl, you know, she's more open to it. She's more aware of it. She's, she's, um, ready to embrace her dreams. And even if her dad is like, no, 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 no. Your mom had this, you can't do it. And I think that for Finn, it kicked in with trauma, with him being abducted with him being in the situation that sixth sense just suddenly like I needed to survive. Here's my brain opening up. And I, I just feel like with genetics, um, I immediately went into genetics. Like if your mother had the gift, 
the kids are going to have the gift. Obviously, the way that jeans jump around, Finn would have more of his mother. I went straight into that, you know. And I think that's a 100% legitimate read. Uh, Again, I would like to overemphasize, I think the film and the short story do not answer these questions on purpose. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, I love that. I love that we all get to have like this very different view of the kids, the grabber, you know, I, I miss the grabbers. Like, you know, when he said that he, I was so focused on Finn and everything else, the ghosts and everything else that I, I, I didn't even hear the grabber. I wasn't interested in the grabbers, uh, gift or, or anything else. Um, just his brother, his brother was very interesting, yeah. <laughs> but what but was your I didn't, favorite I didn't... part, Adriana? My favorite part is that light bulb in his brother. Um, I don't remember his name, that light bulb where he, cause he's like cooked out. Right. So he's, yeah, we call him just because we're old school wire fans, but I don't know what his actual name name. I don't know the character name, but I just know that he's just like, Oh my God. Oh, and then he just looks up, sees the map. And there's this moment of holy shit, the kids right here and like the opening of the door and then an ax to the head. Oh my God. Like that was like back to back to back. Just like, Oh, Oh my God. And then, Oh, he did it. Like, of course. Yeah. And then of course he's going to blame Vin, right? Like you made me kill him. You did this because he is gonna blame the entire world for the crap he's doing so that was my that was my favorite part um just just that moment right there yeah that was because that, that took me off guard like that was like very yeah i was like oh my gosh maybe that maybe there's hope oh jk that dude's head is almost split completely it in is half. split open in a bad way that's even scarier because it shows you that nothing is stopping him like this is who he is he's going to kill those kids and his brother it was his idiot but he also just opened the door and saw the the kid so um that that was my favorite part for me i'm gonna cheat and say too so don't yell at me but you probably will yell at me it's okay really anytime (laughs) Gwen was like a total badass like she was actually one of my favorite characters (laughs) like she is so tough and legit I'm like I want to be her when I grow up like she is hysterical (laughs) like such a potty mouth such a like in the office she just she was a cop yes she owned (laughs) every scene that she was in even when she was like praying to Jesus and was like Jesus you suck you aren't even real (laughs) what the f Jesus yeah what the hell yeah exactly exactly so obviously I think I I just loved Gwen but I do really love the payoff of all of the different like weight booby tracks essentially that he builds like that payoff was really uh painful and also super duper satisfying yeah Mo, what stuck with you? A lot of this is all coming back, but there was always one part that stuck out. I mean, that was just horrifying. And that's when the grabber sets the trap, like leaves the door unlocked and he's just sitting in the kitchen. Is he asleep? Is he not asleep? Can you make it past him? And that scene was so tense and so (laughs) horrifying. Do you remember what the kid tells Finney when Finney's about to run? He says he waits for you to be a bad boy so he can punish you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just got chills 
having you repeat that uh, that <laughs> that entire scene because as a child like you just put yourself back or you try to put yourself in that position as what you do as a kid and i did i don't know that i would have moved like i think it would have just politely gone back downstairs and stayed down there i don't think i would have made the effort but that scene of any of the scenes stuck out uh, these you? kids are like preteens so they're in that age where you know from Mine's a teen right now, and he thinks he knows. No, 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 sorry. He knows everything. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he's taking preteens, right? So he he knows these kids are like, absolutely, I'm tough, bruh. <laughs> I'm going to get to that door, and I'm going to escape. That's why he waits. That's how he's gotten all of them. You uh, Something about um, him being that arrogant, just tells me this is exactly when he kills every kid because they've all had that thought. Oh, the door's open. I'm I'm out. I'm free. This is it. This is the moment. Um, yeah, it's the invincibility and, of childhood, yeah, right? Like we're yeah. invincible. We can do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's fear, but there isn't really that. Like there's 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 fear of other things. It's that wasn't that that's that's that. Like I can do this. I, I'm I'm tough enough to do this. Um, but if you notice all of the kids he's gotten up until Finn were so much tougher. Whereas Finn was kind of like that sweet, smart kid. And, you know, he, he, he thought things out differently. He wasn't fighting, picking, you know, beating, beating people up, being a bully or even defending himself or anybody else. So, um, sorry, Grabber, you just chose, the wrong and, kid and had this the time. Codes. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. He's a survivalist because he's in an abusive family. And in, in a situation at school where he is, you know, the kid that gets shoved in the locker, in the toilet, beat up, you know, pushed his 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 yeah. bike gets stolen. I mean, I'm not sure the native kid whose dad died in Vietnam has it a lot easier, but I mean, that's true, but he was also <laughs> tough and could well, well he was all of the bullies at once. He was kicking wholesale ass out there like he was not afraid um and if anybody else other than finn was going to survive i that would be the kid yeah that would be the kid um and of course like what picking the 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 last kid he killed was someone who cared about finn and that that just you know meant mistakes were made mistakes were made grabber (laughs) what about you jr so Amanda already, Amanda already said the part that I was going to say, which is where the Finn uses all the other kids' efforts to escape for himself. So I would actually like to highlight two things that really did not work for me. Um, mm. One, I love a good twist at the end of a movie. But even watching it the second time, which I was watching, waiting for this to make sense, the fact that he had two houses across the street from each other didn't, like, okay, sure, uh, whatever. It just didn't make sense why that was part of the story um if like i don't think the story would have changed significantly in any meaningful way if he had just had one house no so so that it it didn't have that punch right it just and, and and when they go in and the house is empty i was like oh no but then like literally on the screen less than five minutes later finn is fine so it didn't endanger him any extra or anything like so i was i just didn't understand why that that unnecessarily extra layer of complication was added to the film 
uh, it maybe just added to suspense. I mean, it maybe just added to the point that his brother never found out because he wasn't burying there. Like he never brought the bodies in there. Like he never there was. If he killed them in one house and took them across the street and buried them in the basement, like he he was moving them. Right. Like, right. So and again and again, like I, yeah, we can all make some stuff up and justify it, but the fact that we're having to be like, I don't know, maybe this, maybe that, like again, <laughs> it, it was pointless. It was it, pointless. Yeah, it didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. And again, in a movie that was otherwise so lean and mean, it was very. I was. I keep wanting it to mean something, and it just mm-hmm. is like, isn't that weird? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess. So that what do you that do was... for a living? He has two houses. <laughs> I know, <right? laughs> um, well, he sells balloons out of his van. Very lucrative, as we know. Right. So. One color. Uh, the other thing, and I'll let this be my last thought because I know we got to wrap up. But uh, I just thought the 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 tone of the movie, particularly as it related to masculinity, was a throwback in a way that I think was intentional, but I just didn't like. Like the fact that Finn was a sissy, and then at the end of the movie, once he's like become a man, he like walks into the classroom and sits down next to the girl he likes, and is like, "Sup, call me Finn." And I was like, yeah. "I mean, th- this feels weird and gross because you like murdered a guy to do this." Like, I, I, it, it, it felt, it felt like what we would see in a classic like 80s movie but in those 80s movies that were like yeah that didn't age great parts of that are fun but it just doesn't you know we've mm-hmm. we've evolved a little bit past that now and i just i wished the film had not been so uh ma- macho in that way you know his mm-hmm. little buddy that had the bandana that was like robin yeah you know that was mm-hmm. that was again all the tough guy and um like again that was fine but that never got like deconstructed in a meaningful way particularly given that we have a character who is an abused boy himself who's grown up to become an abuser and so much of that ends up wrapped up in these toxic forms of masculinity i was like there's just there's some stuff happening in this film where it's 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 uh, not resonating with itself in a way that I don't think it's aware of, uh, and so that that kind of that kind of hurt the overall film for me. And I think it was why I reacted so negatively to it the first time. So I was just like, "Ooh, right. like what a gross, what a gross final scene that we were supposed to laugh at and be like, oh, that kid's cool." And I was like, "Oh God, like that's bad." <laughs> right. The girl, the girl finally noticed because he, you know, he's a big badass. Um, right. I um. I think the the only thing I can say to that is that they were probably trying to stay true to what people were like in the 70s. No, I get that. But again, like we can. That, but that's there, it. Yeah. There are films that do that and also critique that, you know, and this one just. Right. Especially having a strong female character in the sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Right. It, it felt it felt unintentionally make America great again. Like, let's get back mm-hmm. to when men were men and all that. And it's like, that wasn't good back then. Like, men weren't, <laughs> men weren't okay back then, actually. Um, as so evidence just to play the <laughs> Just to play the devil's advocate. I mean, I, I didn't read it that way at all, but I also don't look through your lens, JR. For me, it was just more mm-hmm. like when you've survived all that, why are you scared to introduce that, yeah. yourself to the girl next door? Like, okay. that's what I, think I saw. It was more that's like, I saw. he's not the timid boy anymore. Like it kind of, it's like, all right, I did it. I made it. I'm alive. Let's not be scared of everything moving forward. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. it was the, I think it was the call me Finn. Like it's the Johnny John, yeah. <laughs> like it's the drop, drop. The I'm not a little boy. I'm a man. Yeah. Right. No. And it's that like, so, but I do like that reading better. And next time I watch this film, I will try to watch it with that lens. So I'm not annoyed. <laughs> that's right, that's that how our, I read it. Let that be yeah. our lesson today. Everyone view through Mo's lens moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right.
Uh, all right. Well, our next episode is going to be on a horror comedy called The Blackening that is in theaters right now. Uh, and then after that, we are teed up for the Insidious franchise. So stay tuned. Lots more good horror content coming at you. Until next time, take care of yourselves out there. Uh, you know, I was going to say don't answer the phone, but if this film taught us anything, it's like maybe answer the phone. And of course, whatever you do, don't split up. <laughs> survival is